Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Good morning, Harvests. So good to see everybody that is here today. Uh, I do want to start out with a two public service announcements kind of thing. Uh, as you know, Pastor Dave is on sabbatical for the next four months. On uh, Monday, I received an email from Pastor Dave that had been an email from somebody else asking for his help. So, uh, totally understandable, um, but I would just like to encourage you, um, if you have any sort of need during the next three and a half months that are still remaining, please direct them towards someone else on staff. Uh, We do want to give Pastor Dave that space to just kind of pull away, not because he doesn't love us, uh, but because he does need the rest and the refreshment. So uh, in emergency needs, please contact somebody else. Now, if you want to text them and say, dude, man, love you, miss you, come back soon, the preaching's horrible, it's going to get better when you give it, that's fine, that's fine, that's encouraging, right? But on the flip side, if it's really like, man, I'm having a struggle with such and such, please um, contact Pastor Stan. (laughs) There he is over there, thank you very much. Um, The other one is, Eddie Crusoe wanted to let me know, have me let you know Uh, that he did have another seizure this week. Uh, Fortunately, he was in bed, and it wasn't as serious as it's been in the past. But if you could continue to pray for him, because if I understand correctly, if I understand his text correctly, and right now he's online watching and saying you're not doing it right, hopefully not, but he is, uh, I think, doing work, starting work tomorrow or something of that sort. So we just want to make sure uh, that the seizures fade and don't bother him in the future and the longest, if you could keep him in prayer um, as well. All right. Well, uh, again, thank you for coming. This is the third and final week, which I'll be looking at Jehoshaphat and Second Chronicles 20. And we've gone through a lot of things. So uh, how many of you watch SportsCenter? A few of you, right? And uh, at SportsCenter, they usually have their top 10. And uh, the top 10 shows you one of two things. Uh, it could be uh, the top 10 best plays. Um, and if you see, though, they kind of get a little redundant, some guy diving and making a great catch or whatever it is. Uh, my favorite ones are when they do the top 10 bloopers. Have you ever seen those? I like those more. I don't know if it's just something in me that likes to see people fail as well. You know, like when I fail, um, that's, it's, it's difficult, and you think, I'm the only one that ever fails. But when you see somebody else blowing it, you're like, okay, I'm human. I, I can accept that, and it's kind of neat. Not, not, now, of course, it's embarrassing for them. I'm not trying to embarrass them, but I'm just saying it it does something in in me emotionally, maybe not something good. Um, So I want to share just the top five things so far, I think, that we've learned from 2 Chronicles chapter 20, just kind of as a review, because I think a review is important. I was reading the other day, piano teachers, how many of you had piano teachers? What do they tell you? Practice. The more you practice, the better you get, so that it becomes automatic, right? Kind of like that reaction. Um, If something happens, boom, automatically you respond. So my hope is here's five things that you will respond to consistently moving forward. And the first one is, and this is not necessarily in any type of order other than the way it was delivered, um, to pray is to converse with God, which requires listening as well as speaking. Now, of course, all top five and the other two that I'm going to add today are big fat does. Like, okay, I understand that. But to really actually practice a listening heart is huge. And from Second Chronicles 20, we've already learned with Jehoshaphat and the people, after they prayed, there was moments of silence, absolute silence, because 
what they were basically saying was, God, we don't know what to do. We're in this emergency situation, and we have spoken our hearts, which is a good part of praying, but we've spoken our hearts, and now we want to listen. What do you want us to do? And I think a lot of our difficulties when we pray come because we come to God, we express our hearts, we think we know what to do, and then we go and do it without really listening because God may have an alternative. And there's many times when we don't listen, we actually interfere with the work that God wants to do in our lives and maybe even changing our circumstances. So that's one of them. The second one is this. To be spirit-led, you must be scripture-fed. Now, if you, (coughs) and we will read the prayer of Jehoshaphat, we will see that he focuses a lot on God's word, God's promises. His focus really is on God. And so if we want to pray in a way in where God's spirit is leading us, we really have to get to know God and his word. And that means spending the time in it. It means reflecting. It means thinking deeply about what does this really mean to me? What is God speaking to me? Where is he guiding me? Where is he leading me? Ultimately to a place that after you've heard all of that, to actually do what God says. And if you're a parent and you speak your heart to your kids, you're hoping that you're listening, what is your desire? That they'll actually listen and do what you say. It's not any different. God as a father says, here, this is the way. Sorry, little Mandalorian kind of thing there for you. Um, But it really is. This is the way. You will listen to God. He speaks, and it's so much easier when you do things his way than it is for us trying to force something to happen when that's not the way God's working in our lives. Then last week, we talked about number three, which is seek out others to pray with you. And uh, this is really something that is, I feel, important for a church as a whole. The unfortunate thing is, in American culture, we have been taught uh, an individualized Christianity, an individual reading of God's word even. Like again, when we talked about last week, you pick up the Bible and you think, oh, this is God's love letter to me. And there is truth to that. But the scripture is not written to us as individuals. It's written to us as a community, which is really nice that you guys did what you guys did with the songs today because it's a community coming together. And the realization that I have is that we are a family, and as a family, the beauty of it is that we can actually come as a family to our Father and say we have needs. I mean, it's good that you have your individual prayer time. It's good that you have your individual quiet time. It's good that you're spending time alone with God, but his call is, hey, everybody come together and have a need. And as we saw in the story of Jehoshaphat, the progression was pretty simple. It started out with him, and him is the focus of the story, but as it moved on, he realized, wow, I mean, this is not just about me. I'm not the only one who has skin in the game. Everybody does. And so he says, everybody come together, and everybody comes to Jerusalem, and they get together, and they fast, and they pray. And I was reminded that as a, as a father, I do, as I shared last week, enjoy spending time with each individual child that I have. Like, for instance, this week, my wife and my youngest are in Indiana at a dance competition, and it was just me, Kaylee, and Tim at home. And uh, me and Kaylee, we drove up to uh, Lolo's Bowl, which is in Lincolnshire, I think it is. It's not Lincoln, whatever it is. But just spending time alone, that was great. But to be honest with you, as much as I really enjoyed that time with her and being alone, how cool it would have been just to have the whole family there. And so I love when family comes together. And I think, I'm not like God, but I wonder if God's a sister and go, man, I'd really like to see all my kids get together and hang out, just have a reunion and, and enjoy that. And so that 
sense of praying together really is important because what happens in the family affects the whole family, not just an individual. Fourth thing, the intensity of our need equals the sense of urgency. And I think this was important. And last week we talked about Eugene. Eugene is in seeds today. And uh, just the sense of when it really matters to you, we pray a lot more. Right? In that crisis situation, and we saw that crisis situation where Jehoshaphat was about to die when he was in battle, and he cried out to God. And I don't think Jehoshaphat, there was, as the enemy soldiers were closing in, I don't think he said, oh boy, this really isn't a good situation. You know, God, I think I would like to get out of this. Um, he cried out. He said, oh God, save me. And so there's an intensity. And so I fear that sometimes when we don't have this intensity as a church family, there's that disconnect that exists, and God wants us to come together and feel this sense of urgency that the church has as a whole. The world that we live in today, and this will probably always be the way from the beginning of time, is not a world that is pro-God, but it's also a world in which a lot of things happen where the need or necessity of God to enter into that is really important. And his call on our lives is to be a part of his mission. So there should be a sense of urgency. I mean, and when, and when we come together, that desire, that burden of our heart. What's, what's burdening me about harvest right now? And then the fifth one, remember what God has done in the past. Again, Jehoshaphat saved by God when he was about to be murdered on the battlefield. So those are the top five. We're going to give two more today. I want to go into the text, and then I'm going to end up with a little bit of sharing from someone in our church. Let me read our verses for us. Second Chronicles, chapter 6 through 12. And here's actually the prayer. O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. O our God! Did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you'll hear us and rescue us. See, there's, there's a lot of the word in there. He's reflecting on God's word, on who God is. And then he continues, And now see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let your ancestors invade these nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around them and did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us, for they have come to throw us out of your land which you gave to us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. You see, what Jehoshaphat here is teaching us today, and I'm going to put this now into what I call the top seven, is this. Know who you are praying to. Know who you are praying to. This is important. So how does Jehoshaphat approach God in this situation? He does not approach him as the God of all comfort. Okay, He doesn't say, oh God of all comfort, 
We are about to be destroyed. And as we're destroyed, please comfort us. Give us a sense of your presence. Give us peace so that we might know how good you are. Does he pray that? No, he does not, because right now he doesn't really need comfort. He doesn't say, oh, God of silence, the one who met Elijah in silence and let him know that he is. He doesn't pray that either. They have a need. They, they need God to do something and do something now. And so he approaches God as God Almighty. There is no one like you. You rule all. And if you want to do something, you get it done. Let's put it in practical terms. Can you put the slide back up there? Just, and it doesn't matter. If you need a slide presentation, are you going to come to me? Be honest. Who said no? <laughs> Amen, sister, right? My daughter Kaylee looked at these yesterday and she said, you're going to put those up there. <laughs> I said, well, yes, I am. I just want to keep it simple. You don't need all the other stuff. You don't come to me. You don't have this presentation and say, oh, man, I really need help with this. Can you help me? You're not going to do it. You need help with Excel? Don't come to me. You know what I'm saying? There's kind of a theme that's going on here. If I have sleep apnea, I'm not going to go to a foot doctor and ask them, hey, can you help me? Please, I need your help. Who am I going to go to? Is there anyone here that deals with sleep apnea? Okay, I know, Alex, you do. You're sitting back there. I'm just trying to give you a little advertising. You want to go to him. You want to talk to him. You don't want to talk to me or someone who has nothing to do with it. You see what I'm saying? So you have to know who you're coming to. And Jehoshaphat knows exactly who he's coming to. He's coming to God Almighty. He's seen God work in his life already. Over and over again, we come back to the simple fact that when Jehoshaphat blew it, he made a bad alliance with a bad king. He ended up in a war he shouldn't have been a part of. He almost died, and yet he saw God Almighty deliver him from his enemy. So when he has another situation where God needs to rescue him from his difficult situation, but not only him and his people, he comes to God Almighty and says, God, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are the ruler of the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. You have to know who you are praying to. Because if you come to God in a way that doesn't make sense when you're asking for comfort in the midst of crisis that you need an immediate answer, it's not going to flow as well. Now, what I'm not saying is if you came to God and you mistook his name, like if you came and said, oh, oh God, Jehovah, okay, when it's really Jehovah, God's sitting up there going, oh, mispronounced my name, sorry, can't answer that. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, when you come and reflectively pray, listening to what God is asking, the best way to come to him, to seek that answer, to find him speak, is to come in a way that is meeting your situation. Jehoshaphat did not need comfort. He needed power. 
He had no power, so he had to come to someone who had the power that would be able to help him in the situation in which he was in, which is why he says, God, you alone are in heaven. You're the ruler of the kingdoms of earth. You're powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Answer our prayer because we don't know what to do. You have to know. And the cool or crazy thing is, is as he's saying his prayer, what is he doing? He's reflecting on the things that God has already done. Hey, God, remember, you said that you were going to give this land to us. You promised the descendants of Abraham that this would be their land. And now we're looking at this situation, and these guys are coming to kick your people out of their land. Now, I know I'm going to bring up like the difficult memories maybe for someone here, but can you imagine when your parents pass away and then your siblings start fighting over the inheritance? It's painful. It's a difficult situation. And what Jehoshaphat here is doing this is saying, God, this is the inheritance that you gave to your people. You promised us. This was ours. It's yours, but you're giving it to us. And now these people are coming to kick us out. That does not make sense to me. How many of you have children who are, have great memories after you've promised something? You know what I mean? If you're a parent, you know, right? You tell them, clean your room. Huh? Yeah, clean your room. Look at me. Clean your room. I'm not sure I hear you. But when you're done, we'll go out for ice cream. Oh, yeah. Hey, Dad, remember when you told me we were going to go for ice cream? That was 15 years ago. You know what I mean? They can remember that. What is it that Jehoshaphat is doing? He's saying, God, remember what you promised us. You promised us. This is our inheritance. This is ours. It's not theirs. Now, if it were years later... And they're getting kicked out because of their sin. But that's not the situation here. Jehoshaphat has been walking righteously before God. He's gone throughout the land and told the people all about the good things that God has done. And he wants them to experience it. And so really all that he's doing is saying, God, I see you for who you are. I know you. You're God Almighty. You rescue those who are in need, which is a part of his prayer. And you've given us this land as an inheritance. And we did what you told us to do. When we first came out of the land, we did not destroy, but we went around. This is how they repay us. God, do you not see our situation? When you pray, you have to know who it is that you're praying to. I don't know if this is borderline... Uh, taking it too far. But as this, I was thinking about this, I was reflecting on James chapter 2. And if we could read James chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. This is what it says, the heart of God. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? How does that relate to what we're talking about? Quite simply, this is the heart of God. Can you imagine God as our father and you come up to him in the midst of a crisis and say, God, here is what I need. 
And he says, wow, you are so right. You really need some help. But go on your way. See you later. Love you. Peace be with you. What is that saying? These verses, though they're talking about us and our faith, relate to the heart of God. I don't think God is like one of those people who says, hey, listen, I want you to understand something. It's this. Come to me so I can listen to your crises and send you off with a blessing. See, when I read Scripture, and I don't think I'm reading it wrong, when I read Scriptures, God's invitation for us is to come and ask with the expectation that God will actually meet that need. Does that make sense? See, as James is talking to early Christians and telling them, listen, faith without action, no good. Could you imagine prayer without action, what that is? I can't even think of what it is. Because to me, it doesn't make sense that God would, throughout all of Scripture from beginning to end, invite us to come and pray and then say, well, I just want you to know I love you. Go and be well. And so I think we need to pray with a confidence. Can we put up number seven for me, please? God invites, I should have us, typo. This is maybe why my daughter should have done it. God invites us to know him and to ask of him. Don't be afraid to ask God to change your circumstances. Can you imagine if Jehoshaphat gets up there and he says, Oh God, this great army, this vast army is coming against us. We have no way to win. May we die with a smile on our face. What kind of prayer is that? It's not a prayer that he prayed because he had a confidence that the God that he was coming to not only invited him to know him, but to see him answer Look through the scripture yourself. Read from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and there's a constant call by God to say what? Come, know me, but also ask of me. It's that sense where we look at Jesus in the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11, and it says, God is a father. And as a father, when we go, hey, God, can I have an egg? He doesn't say, here's a scorpion. Hey, here's some bread. Chew on some rocks. That's not the heart of God. The heart of God's intent completely is to see us as his people coming together with great confidence, trusting that this God that we come to wants to answer our prayer. Now, I was reflecting on how do I end this and I was thinking maybe I could talk about unanswered prayer, but then I realized if I talked about unanswered prayer and how God sometimes doesn't answer, it would ruin the whole sermon series. So I'm not going to do that, maybe some other time. But I want to, to get us to understand three key concepts from this. And if you could put up the last thing before we um, have a little bit of a testimony on this. The last slide. Here is the application Quite simply, and like you're all rejoicing and going, dude, it's so early, we're getting out, this is awesome. Maybe we don't want Pastor Dave to come back. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, I want you to walk away with this. Pray. Pray with others and pray with confidence. 
pray, pray with others, and pray with confidence. And I'm not saying this just because it's a nice way to finish it, but really the, the God is calling us to him. He's saying, come, drink. Uh, dealing with the Samaritan woman, come, taste this living water this, this, that will give you life. Come, know me, experience me. But when you come, don't come alone. Bring people. The Samaritan woman, what did she do? She ran back to the town and said, dudes, I want to tell you something. I've been blessed. And then she went home. And the Samaritans were like, what? Okay, you've been blessed. but No, she said, I've been blessed. Come with me and check this man out. And, and, and that's, that's the heart of God is for the family, the church of God, for us to all be able to say, yes, we will come together to meet this God who is a mighty God, who is a comforting God, who is a caring God, who is a loving God, and has a heart for us, not just as individuals, but as a community and as a family. And then the ability to actually pray with confidence because we know this God that we come to is a God who not only invites us to know him, but to actually see him answer our prayers. Now, in light of that, I'd like to invite Linus up. And uh, we're going to have a little bit of, yeah, we forgot the chairs, but I think we're young enough to be able to still stand. And we did have a mic set up for you. And I just wanted to just kind of end a little bit with a testimony because you hear the pastor's voices all the time. And one of the things that we want to do and embed into the culture of harvest is a culture of testimony. So you don't always want to hear what's happening in my life or Pastor Stan's life or Pastor Dave's life when he comes back. But every once in a while, a normal person, hopefully you're normal. Um, and what is it like for a normal person to actually experience God? So as we're here, I'm going to take this here, brother. You can keep that. I'm just going to ask you a couple questions. And the first one is just to, you're going to explain why you're up here by describing your experience. So you go ahead and describe your experience, and then I'll ask a couple questions afterwards. Go ahead, brother. I'll try to keep this short as possible. Um, I was really hesitant, actually, in the beginning to share this because the story is kind of fantastical. You know, it's hard to believe, even looking back sometimes. But... um. January 3rd of 2023, as soon as the year started, we had this unexpected journey um, where we had to all of a sudden drive to Florida. So we, for our 20th anniversary, we booked a cruise um, that was supposed to leave on January 3rd from Port Miami, and we were supposed to fly in that morning. So we were booked for the first flight. 6 p.m. the day before, we get a text message saying that our flights were rescheduled for the 4th, which is like after the ship left, right? So that wasn't going to work. So as soon as I get the text message, I called the cruise company, the airline, another um, travel company to try to see if we could find another flight either that night or earlier in the morning that will get there. After spending like 30 minutes just like, you know, phone tag with a bunch of companies, I'm realizing, like, this, we probably can't make it unless we start driving. So I look up on Google Maps, and it was, like, about 6.30 p.m., and it said that it's going to take about 21 hours if we drove straight from Chicago to Port Miami. So 
I realized, okay, I needed to make a decision within, we weren't even packed, right, for like a one-week cruise. So I tell my family, okay, you guys, five minutes to pack and get in the car. Because we have to drop our dogs off, too. So we pack up really quick, load the car, and we start driving to drop out the dogs. And the situation is 1,400 miles. We had about 19 hours left to drive. Assuming about 10 minutes per pit stop to fuel and whatever, 79 miles per hour on average for 19 hours. It's doable, right? So we start on the way, and the first leg was pretty good. You know, we're fine. So we started praying, actually. So we went around, and we just prayed. And the kids prayed. And I, I, I was really impressed with how mature my kids were because they're all praying, God, let us have a good time. And they're fully aware that there's a good chance we're not going to make it. And even if we don't make it, help us to just, you know, have, have a fun time in the drive. My prayer went something like, God, blind the eyes of the police. <laughs> Help me to be able to drive 90, 100 miles per hour, you know, without the car feeling. And the car, another thing is the car didn't have oil change for like 7,000 miles at that point. It was like, do. She was, she was telling me to get it, and I kept procrastinating. So I'm like worrying the engine might blow up. So I was like, just keep, get us safe there. Straight through, that was my prayer. So the first stop happens, pit stop. And right before the pit stop, everyone is like ready. Everyone has a job. Because, we, you know, we didn't get to, like, really prepare. So food, energy drink, coffee. I was getting a radar detector. Um, and nine minutes, first pit stop, you know, which was really good. And as soon as we, we changed drivers, and Ju was driving, and I was trying to take a nap. And as soon as I was about to doze off, I hear, like, rain, like, in the beginning, it was like a little bit, and then all of a sudden, it's pouring. And then, you know, like one of those rains where you can't barely see what's in front of you, right? And you're worrying you might hydroplane. And then I'm like, oh, my goodness, we're not going to make it. And as, as I, I'm looking at the speedometer, and Drew's like slowing down, and we're like going 60, 55, 50. And I'm, I'm like doing some math. Okay, so we could afford to go 50 miles per hour for maybe 40, 50 minutes. If we slow down too much, we're, we're never going to catch up, right? And then I look at the weather uh, radar, and then it shows that there's a storm system stretching from Indiana all the way to Kentucky, and it was going to be that much rain for the next two hours. So I'm just like, desperate. <laughs> Right? So I started praying. And then, so this is how I wrote my prayer here. So my prayer was, Lord, you said that if I had a faith the size of a mustard seed, I could tell this mountain to move, and it will move. Right? That's what Jesus said. And I'm thinking about that passage, and I'm thinking... I just don't see that as possible, actually. I mean, why would the mountain, I mean, what function would that have, right? But that's what the Bible says. So my prayer is saying, like, honestly, I don't even think I have that 
much of a faith, but I still believe that you could calm the storm. But even like praying for the rain to stop wasn't even like my prayer because I was like, the rain brings life, and who am I to actually tell the storm system <laughs> to stop? <laughs> right? So I was like, oh. But somehow, God, just help us to be able to get there, like make a way for us. Somehow, I believe you could still bend the law of physics and make something happen. As soon as I finished praying, the rain stopped. So first thought, this this tells you like how little faith I have, right? First thing I think is, coincidence? (laughs) So, okay, maybe the rain stopped, and I look at the weather map again, and I'm tracking. We're in the middle of yellow, red spot where it should be pouring. I'm just looking around. There's no rain, but like out in the distance, you see like the rain curtain. So I'm driving through this. I'm just amazed. I was like, wow, maybe this is really happening. So I take Ju's phone, because, you know, the weather radar is on my phone, and I'm like, I'm going to record this. So I start video recording. It's like, radar, rain, radar, and this starts pouring. So I was like, okay, maybe it's not show and tell. Maybe it's not, you know, just document things. I put it down, and I start praying again. And prayer was, at this point, just more in songs, because there's a lot of praise songs. So I was singing, he's the Lord, he reigns on high, he's the Lord, that old song, where one of the verses go, he comes in power when you call on his name. He is the Lord. And show your power, O Lord our God. That's the tagline. I sang that for probably 30 minutes. Show your power. And as I started to sing, the rain stopped again. So for the next, like, 45 minutes, I'm just like singing through all these like songs about miracle, you know, we serve a God of miracle, Jesus, you know, um, splitting the storm. And we're going at about 80 miles per hour. And then I doze off and I start to hear the rain again. (laughs) So I wake up and I'm singing more songs. So for about two hours, I felt like Moses at the mountain, you know, during the battle, holding the staff. Right? When I doze off, it starts raining. So that was the first miracle. About two, two and a half hour period. It was like a prayer meeting on the way to Florida. I'm going to skip through a lot of the middle parts. I wrote, like a, I wrote a little bit of an essay about this, and I shared it with the praise team and a few people. I think you know, that will be part of Pastor Frank's um, a summary. But the last miracle... So by this time, we've been in contact with our CG, with the pastors. And this shows the last about hour of our drive. So what it says is, Google map is telling me it's going to take 49 minutes, right? ETA is 3.58. So we called a cruise company, and they extended the deadline to 4 p.m. So we need to park get to the gate by 4 p.m., right? That was, like, absolute deadline. As the traffic was building in Port Miami, if you lived in that area, Drew was telling me that area is horrendous. The traffic's just building and building, and it, looks, it looked like we are like, at the last leg, and we weren't going to make it, right? Because, you know, like, Google Maps tend to get more accurate closer you get to the destination. Drew, at this point, is 
bartering with God. <laughs> it was like making, she was making deals. Um, for me, I was like, I somehow had a confidence because so many other things happen where I feel like God's going to somehow get there. And then Pastor Frank was praying, you know, God split the traffic. And we were literally praying, you know, like Red Sea. We somehow got there to the parking lot. I don't know exactly what time. Ran to the gate. Imagine home alone in the airport scene, right? And we made it to the gate with eight minutes before the final closing time. So one thing I didn't mention actually is um, reason. one of the reasons why we did that was because Jew had um, an old childhood friend who decided to join us in the cruise, and they came from Brazil. So they were in Miami for a few days already, and they were waiting there, and they heard the news. And if we didn't make it, they were going to just go off on their own. <laughs> and those two are faithful believers living in Brazil. They support... Um, bunch of missionaries to the Brazilian Amazon rainforest, and they're praying for us as well. So if it weren't for them, we probably would have been like, you know, like we'll try to rebook, and then if we miss, miss it, we miss it. But because they're waiting, we're like, okay, we have to at least try. And throughout that whole drive, I, I was just, I think it just really um, changed how I thought about prayer. It challenged me in how I usually pray as well. So yeah, that, that's the story. And I'm here to tell you that somehow God could still do incredible miracles. Whether it was bending law of physics, I don't know if it was coincidence, the traffic thing. So, so every incident, it, it would just affirm that God was kind of making it happen. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how much more. That's pretty good. We have a few more questions, but I, mean, I, I can just imagine you just saying as you're driving, oh, God, we just want your comfort. That's all. I mean, that would have missed the point, right? Because yeah, you're yeah. asking God to do something in that kind of situation. And I know there's, you know, where you, you have so many struggles and so forth. So I, I know you've shared a couple principles, but I, I shared my seven. But is there one or two principles that you walk away? Because I, I think of one that you already said, but I'm not going to say it. I'm going to let you say whatever you want to say. But are there any principles that you would walk away with when it comes to praying? Do this. I think we've already heard it, but go ahead. Yeah, I, I think... So I, I do have actually one more slide I forgot to share, which is exactly, and you share from um, James too. Yeah. So one of the challenge things that I was challenged about was specifically around James 1 and how I usually pray, right? James 1, 6 to 7 says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And I, I just felt like most of the times when I pray, I feel like I'm, that's my attitude. It's like I'm praying, but it's kind of like I'm not expecting anything to happen, right? right? And I, I've kind of gotten into this habit of praying, like using let your will be done as an excuse, right? So, God, this is what I want. This is what I pray for. But let your will be done. But it's, it's not really, I'm not really seeking let your will be done. Often it's just like, I don't know, you're probably, it's not, probably not going to happen, so let your will be done. So often when I, I realize, like, most of my prayers are like, change me, not change the situation, which is actually not how the Bible teaches about prayer. 
it's both, right? Yeah. I mean, it's I mean like, I'm not saying yeah. it's neither, but it's, it's almost always change me, change how yeah. I react to the situation, which you kind of spoke right. about during the sermon as well. Which is, it's a good thing. We do want to pray, you know, God changed my perspective, mm-hmm. changed my thinking, but I don't think God says, oh, well, that's great, we'll just leave it there. Mm-hmm. But it's like, dude, you're, I, you're in this situation, and I'm here to help. Come and answer. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's really cool to see the whole story that all the answers that you get that come along through this, which we only hear part of the story. But that's, I mean, even that there is a good principle if you're going to ask. Because, I mean, really, when we pray, what do we say? We go, oh, yeah, well, God, if it be your will, which is our translation of saying, I don't know what you really want, and you're probably not going to do it, so I'll give you an out. And then when it doesn't get answered, we go, oh, well, you know, God, you know, that was just your will. I wasn't supposed to get it, which, I don't know, when in James, maybe we should do a Bible study on James, huh? Um, So much prayer that's in there. But it's like you, 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 you're not getting what you ask for because of your lusts. But then he also goes on to say you're not getting what you're asking for because you're not even asking for it. Mm-hmm. So that, that kind of idea of you have the confidence to come to your father who's not looking at you going, yeah, let's just change your perspective or give you comfort. But he's saying, I am here to help. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, so I, I was thinking a lot about why. So as soon as the first storm, after driving through the storm, I'm just still kind of reeling from, like, did that really happen, right? Is that really a miracle? If it did, like, why would God do that? And during the drive, I'm just imagining, okay, maybe there's a divine appointment. I'm supposed to, like, meet someone at the cruise, right, where God kind of put me there for a specific reason. Well, that didn't happen. Um, And there there were a bunch of reasons that I kind of thought of, which all of them might be legitimate. Like for my family to remember this drive as Evelyn goes off to college next year, that they'll, she'll have something to remember. Um, maybe it's to encourage other people who are in a situation, impossible situation where God is saying, come to me. Maybe it's to kind of encourage people. So I mean, that could be reason why. And I kind of, at the end of it, and this was actually in your sermon as well, I imagine God, like a good father, and me as like a child in a carnival asking this giant cotton candy, can I have this? And God saying, it's not needed, but something is extravagant here because I love you. It's not for specific purpose. And that's kind of like what I felt, which which was different than like how I usually pray in the past as well because I always feel like God only answers prayers if it's part of some divine plan. Right. Heaven forbid that God would ever give us something just because he yeah, loves us. Yeah, yeah, You know, you don't want to see that happen because then it becomes candy. Of course, if you're a dentist, <laughs> all you dentists are out there saying, give him more cotton candy. <laughs> Go for it, bro. Um, yeah, so even today, I don't exactly know if there was a reason, but it just, it, it definitely deepened our faith um, Interesting. and changed, really changed how I prayed, actually, since. And another, like, one thing that I, felt right afterwards is just feeling of guilt. So when we returned January 10th and we heard about um, we heard about so many health issues. Eugene had a heart attack shortly after that, you know, with Sue's cancer, with um, Eddie's stroke, you know. And that and then so many other stories. And I just felt guilty almost like it's like did God waste a miracle on this? unnecessary thing, you know, but at the same time, I felt like God was kind of 
telling me like that his power is unlimited. Yeah. It's just we're not asking often for him to actually intervene. We're asking for doctors to intervene, not him to directly heal. I, I mean, I'm really like... You get a little charismatic for us here. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm really uncomfortable with that whole like you know faith healing aspect of it. But like during this experience, I'm I'm just kind of um, learning that I'm not really praying for God to intervene. I'm just praying for doctors to find cures for etc. So that's awesome. Thank you so much for coming up here. Uh, appreciate that, Sharon. All right, and now for my second point. Oh, I'm just kidding. You're all sitting there going, oh, my God, get this over with, please. See, God just answered your prayer. Um, let us actually pray, and then the worship team wants to come up here and finish off our service. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and I am going to encourage you not to just, like, we've been through this passage four times in the last month, with one with Pastor Dave and three with me. I, I think there's a reason and I really, uh, not like God has told me, but when I read Scripture, I really believe God is just calling us to pray, um, to, to converse with him, to listen, to speak uh, with him, have that conversation, because he's a father who loves us, and uh, as a family, to come together. And then to be able to pray with confidence, not with, you know, Lord, if it be your will, you know, maybe sort of, kind of, but really say, God, I really, this is a need to see you do something because it's not just about us it really is about God revealing himself for who he is which is our father which is our almighty father and all of those things that come along with praying praying is simple yet complex but it is a call by God our father to come and not just be with him but to ask Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.